horror movie opened tonight in Hollywood officially and all over the Los Angeles area. There's a lot of controversy over this one, which is why we're paying attention to it. Feminists in particular have said that this is a film that promotes harm to women. Anne Martin has more on it right now. Anne. Christine, the movie is Maniac, and the billboards themselves are pretty gruesome. Moviegoers tonight told me the plot is, a man who hated his mother goes out and kills women. Besides the billboard, the picture is also advertising as the movie the L.A. Times wouldn't run ads for. Now, President Eleanor Smeal had this reaction to the billboard. All I can say is, is that when you talk about violence towards women and brutality, this just typifies it. And I think that it is uh, shocking and it contributes to the injury of women. Tonight I asked moviegoers who had just seen the film if they thought it was potentially injurious to women. Yeah, I'm going to be scared to walk out at night, really, now. you think it was unfair to women? Yeah, I did. How about you? What did you think of it? I think it was a sick movie. It was where they, it was kind of stupid, you know, but it wasn't as scary as I planned it to be, like other movies I've seen, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre or something like that. Did you think that a movie like that would, uh, would inspire violence toward women? Yeah, I think some guys might have ideas uh, watching this, you know, if they're sick-minded coming in here, you never know. Two young men who were about to see Maniac said movies are fiction. It's real life that's scary. It bothers you to see some guy like Bideker, for instance, who's convicted of doing torture and murder on young girls, but it doesn't bother you to see them. Well, no, not really. Because the movie, well, it's just a movie. It's fiction. But uh, in Bideker's case, that's true. It freaks me out a little. Do you think it might? Yeah, definitely. I wouldn't be seen if I was young woman. So far, the movie management there told me the movie is doing a fair business. This was its first day. Okay. This is Metro News with Charles Rowe, Gil Stratton, and the entire Metro News team. This is one other controversy tonight. This time, the advertising for a newly released horror film. And as Channel 11, Judy Bloom reports, the battleground is a billboard. This visually violent and sexually explicit poster for a new movie called Maniac is arousing a great deal of anger within the women's community in Los Angeles. They say that posters like this one contribute to violence against women. This is not, unfortunately, terribly unusual. This is violence. This is brutality. This is something that we subjugate people to almost daily. When one of the offensive billboards for the movie appeared on the property of the R&B Custom Shop in West Hollywood, the owner became so infuriated, she decided to take matters into her own hands. With the help of her colleagues, white paint and a roller, this mother of two young children made the maniac advertisement disappear. I'm sitting in my office all day long, and it just faces me, stares at me into the window, and I just can't take it. I think it's sick, it's perverted, and I just want to stop things like that. I think that was absolutely the thing to do. Because what children see is what they think about. What they think about is what they do. <laughs> I think it's ugly. I think it's, uh, it forces violence. Both the billboard and the movie companies were unavailable for comment. From West Hollywood, this is Judy Bloom.
Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. With me, Peter is back. With Mike Mountain. Private joke, yes, never mind. And Cecil's off this week. He is actually attending a funeral, so that's a excused absence. So Fred is going to sit back in for this one. For some reason, everybody really likes the episodes when you're on, Fred. I don't know. How many people are you paying to email me that? Kind of explains why I'm broke all the time. Oh. Well, if you guys want to get broke or break something, go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. Use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. So tonight what we're going to talk about is the transition that came, and it's specifically horror films, as the 70s ended and the 80s came in. One of the big films that was super controversial is not what you're thinking of. It's not Friday the 13th. It's not Don't Answer the Phone. It's 1980s Maniac. There was a huge fervor in late 1980 about Maniac. Newspapers would not run ads for it. Radio stations, remember this is back in the era where there were radio spots, would not run the audio commercials for it. TV stations would not run TV commercials for it. I even showed the two of you. There was a protest about a woman who had the billboard of Maniac across from her office. And the, the, the news made her a hero for taking a bucket of white paint and blotting out the Maniac poster because she couldn't stand to look at that filth anymore. Wasn't that vandalism and the news was glorifying it? It's pathetic is what it is. It's not even that offensive of a poster. I, I think I heard one of the descriptions uh, for it to be like, like sexually something like um sexually offensive or sexualized violence yeah sexualized how exactly like what's sexual about that poster is it is it joe spinell's bulge are you looking a little too hard at his crotch like i don't really see what's so uh hardcore about i mean most most slasher posters are like that you see either see a silhouette or like the feet or shoulders or something of the killer and they're holding a weapon or maybe like a severed limb like it's really not that it's not even necessarily a severed head it's a scalp like it's it's a woman's woman's hair and i absolutely do think that that's vandalism because that that wasn't even her business that was the business across the street who probably were being paid to promote that film so they were you know losing money because this overly offended twat bag has to go across the street and smear the wall with paint because i'm offended this, this is proof that things have not changed all that much like it's it's really just goddamn astoundingly pathetic well, first, yes, it is definitely vandalism, and uh, I think uh, Pitar just hit what I was going to say, that, boy, does that sound familiar? It's like what we're going through right now again, and it, it's interesting. I mean, I, let's call an ace an ace here by saying that this poster was created to shock, okay? You know, and go back in time here, go before, like, a Serbian film and before Human Centipede and all that, and, you know, look at that poster compared to what was going on before that. And it, it was created to shock. It was created to evoke a response. Uh, in the same video, uh, it had this thing, it put up a box, with which is just a television showing scenes from the movie, and you know, they were trying to evoke a reaction, and guess what? They got it. That mm -hmm. television news station broadcasted that movie across America. 
Uh, <laughs> it worked. That woman paint, painting over that just got it more advertising. Free advertising. I promise you the the producers were dancing a jig when that news uh, story hit the air. Actually, just uh, the opposite. Bill Lustig was furious. He, well, that's more he, as a, as an artist, though. Like he was, it, yeah, just, as an you know, artist, They're messing with his movie. Whereas in Fred's case, what he mentioned is the producers would definitely be happy because this is great press for a horror movie. As he said, it's meant to shock. It's a movie called Maniac. If it's mm-hmm. not eliciting this kind of response from, uh, I guess we'll say normies, then it's not doing its job. It needs to be drawing in the horror crowd. It needs to be drawing in the people that go... Oh, you know, this is, uh, this looks like a pretty controversial flick. You know, there's a woman who saw a billboard of it across the street from her work and decided to paint it over. There's people so offended by this film, I gotta go see it. Yeah, you, you can't buy advertising like that. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, back then, Bill Lustig was not a, a big name, okay? He, he wasn't some Hollywood go-getter that everybody knew about. This story put him on the map. Mm-hmm. Uh, this little film that barely, you know, they put it up there to get that reaction. That's why they put it up there on that billboard. And they got exactly what they wanted. It was probably mm-hmm. the best money they ever spent. But then you also have, and I'm going to play a, a clip here. It's about three minutes long in a minute. You had the Tomorrow Show, Tom Snyder's old show that was on every, late in late night. The Tomorrow Show did a whole piece on, and I actually really like this term, even though it's not an accurate term, horror movies in 1980. And at, at one point, they say Maniac just opened. Maniac opened on December 26, 1980. So we're just leaving 1980 and going into 1981 right after Christmas. And she says the horror films are the new... New pornography of the 80s. And I think that's that's kind of a neat term, but man, is that an evocative term. Take a listen to this, <laughs> and then we'll be back. The hounds of censorship are off and running again, and this time the target is those blood and guts movies that count on screens to bring in dollars. This past weekend, three Los Angeles television stations refused to carry commercials for Brian De Palma's Dress to Kill, except during restricted time periods. The so-called offensive scenes showed Michael Caine dressed as a woman about to attack Angie Dickinson with a razor. But what is causing an even greater furor is the Los Angeles Times' refusal to carry any advertising for a film called Maniac. The Times states, and we quote, the film has no socially redeeming value whatsoever, and it is our duty to the community we serve not to encourage even indirectly such violence, end quote. This response has Maniac director William Lustig furious. He calls it censorship and a sound support within the community from actors Roy Scheider and Stacey Keach, producer Bruce Gilbert of 9 to 5, and director William Friedkin of The Exorcist. They all sent telegrams to the Times protesting its actions. Yet this kind of censorship seems almost inevitable considering the flow of blood and guts films, which has glutted the marketplace in recent years. While it is possible to argue the artistic merit of films such as Psycho and The Exorcist, a new breed of shriek merchants has exploited the once honorable genre of the terror film. Most followers of this genre point to a 1978 film called Halloween as the vehicle which opened the bloody floodgates at the box office. This critically acclaimed movie directed by John Carpenter grossed more than $50 million since its release. But unfortunately, it has spawned a host of imitations bearing such gruesome titles as Blood Beach and My Bloody Valentine. And now virtually not a week goes by without another scare movie making its appearance. Such popularity raises one important question. What is the appeal of these films? 
Studies have shown that the primary audience for these movies are thrill-seeking teenagers and minority groups. Maniac director Bill Lustig says white middle-class America is staying home from theaters except for special events like The Empire Strikes Back and is instead watching movies on cable TV leaving the local theaters to blacks, Latinos, and other minorities without the financial resources to tap into the home video market. Why do horror films appeal to minority groups? Well, Lustig says it's because the movies rely heavily on visual impact and therefore language is not a problem. But many parents and civic groups see these films in a more sinister light, calling them the new pornography. And certainly films with exploitative titles like blood-sucking freaks are hard to defend, although in most cases the titles are more lurid than the movies themselves. However, the fascination with freakiness may be fading. At a recent preview of Friday the 13th Part 2 at a Hollywood Boulevard theater, the audience openly booed this particular coming attraction. This could mean the issue of censorship will take care of itself in a free marketplace where the audience chooses what it wants to see and therefore, in its own way, dictates what gets made. This is certainly preferable to local, state, or federal censorship, which a very vocal portion of this country is now supporting. And tomorrow, Coast to Coast will continue. The new pornography, guys. Because you because you couldn't see the visuals for the audience, the other films she mentions in the in the Maniac piece or shows images from are Friday the Thirteenth, Scanners, which she must have gotten an early copy of because that didn't come out till eighty one, Prom Night, Motel Hell, My Bloody Valentine, also nineteen eighty one, Blood Beach, The Howling, also nineteen eighty one, Halloween, New Year's Evil, The Fun House, and bizarrely blood sucking freaks, which really <laughs> is the weird one in in that. You look at that. And you go, this was about how horror was changing. And specifically, the slasher films. Because after Halloween, there were only a few slasher films. In 1979, I'm going to list every slasher film that was out there. Tourist Trap, When a Stranger Calls, The Driller Killer, Savage Weekend, The Hollywood Strangler Meets the Skid Row Slasher. That's it. That's I'm all turned on. That's all... <laughs> That's all of 1979 slasher films. And then in 1980, this is a much longer list. We have Friday the 13th, Terror Train, Maniac, Prom Night, He Knows You're Alone, Christmas Evil, New Year's Evil, The Boogeyman. It's kind of a slasher film. Don't Answer the Phone, To All a Good Night, The Silent Scream, Don't Go in the Woods, Anthropophagus, Fade to Black, Dress to Kill, Don't Go in the House, Motel Hell, Night of the Demon, Funeral Home, House on the Edge of the Park, Mother's Day, Macabre, Schizoid, Inferno, Long Island Cannibal Massacre. Do you see how, within the span of one year, that list got about five times longer? Long Island Cannibal Massacre? Yeah. Long Island Cannibal Massacre. <laughs> it actually takes place in Long Island... I read the title, okay? This one I haven't seen. Oh, my God. Oh, Jesus. I need to see this one. This Are you telling me this is like a movie where either Guidos eat people or Guidos get eaten? Either way, I'm interested. This in Italy, it was, called, it was called Manja, the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Do you see how, within the span of one year, that list got exponentially larger? Yeah, well, that's normal. I mean, it became uh, that that year before when there were just a couple sprinkled uh, here and there. Obviously, those were received well by certain audiences. So you had filmmakers making more movies and being inspired to make more stuff, especially the the Italians. I mean, a lot of the ones you listed, you know, uh, particularly Anthropophagus, those are uh, Italian movies. It became a boom. 
just like any genre, really. I mean, you had uh, detective stuff and noir stuff, you know, in the in the 50s and the 40s, and you had mobster films, and you had uh, action, adventure, sci-fi films, like in the 70s. So in the 80s, I don't know, for whatever reason, slashers became popular. I don't really see it as a, as a mystery. I just see it as uh, a trend. People really liked it. People latched onto it, and it became a namestay. And I don't see anything uh, new pornography about it. I mean, God, you could say that about any other genre that's became popular. Oh, ah, geez, there's a lot of detective movies uh, coming out. This is uh, the new pornography. I I actually think (laughs) what she meant, I actually think what she meant by the new pornography was that people were going to these movies to see people get slashed up, to see the gore. This was yet another term for what we would have in the 2000s, which would be torture porn. Torture porn, yeah. I think that's what she meant by this is the new pornography is, you know, she had her statement about maniac that it has literally no socially redeeming value whatsoever oh, god so this well, I- was about the new pornography being the violence is the pornography it's ridiculous. Like, I think you can spot a hack journalist a, a mile away when they say that something is porn. When they say something is, oh, this is torture porn, this is destruction porn, this is this. Shut up. Stop it. This whole new pornography thing is obviously a Freudian uh, thing at its most base. You know, the, the, the knife is the, the penis and, you yeah. know, they're, they're taking the violence out on the woman. This is nothing new. And they're, they're using that. And, you you know, and we're all adults here. I think we're not, none of us are stupid or unaware. There obviously is a bit of that to horror. We know this, especially yeah. if you look at the Italians. I mean, the, the word orgasm means little death. Uh, Argento has talked in length about stuff like this. So is so. Well, his movies so are is, pretty uh, sexually charged. Like well, Argento they are. definitely means to. But that, yeah, and that's a whole other discussion to go over into Italy. But my mm. point is, is that we're not stupid. We know that that is a bit there and that there is a sexual violence against women. And there's even in psychology, women that have been attacked by men. It's because they have either erectile dif- dysfunctions or dealings with women, blah, 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 blah. There's a whole list of them. And mm. they're just glomming onto that. To your other question about, and I meant the reporters are glomming onto that. That's what they're using to make their point. You know, you, you said, why is blood sucking freaks in that list? Because somebody went through a list trying to find the most shocking titles they could. They don't even know what that movie's about. I promise you they didn't know what that movie's about. But to the other thing about the list getting longer and longer, uh, Patar is absolutely right. This was just the market was changing. And a big thing to remember is like when Last House on the Left was made, uh, Wes Craven was talking about that horror films at that time, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Last House on the Left, were kind of like a rebuttal to the violence in Vietnam. I think you were seeing that during the 70s. Now, in the 80s, what you start to see is a younger generation that the audience, the, the parents are trying to insulate from the world a bit more. And this is when for the first time in our culture, we had teenagers with disposable income. 80s became a boom, as we know, financially, you know, the Wall Street scene, the middle class was, you know, for the first time flush with cash. This was a market that Hollywood or nobody else saw coming. Teens going to movies. They were never a huge market. They were becoming one slowly, of course. Roger Corman saw that, you know, a decade and a half before. It was becoming a reality now. Teens were the market, and teens didn't care about a film like, well, like Platoon or certain other films. They wanted a movie to take a date to, 
okay? And that's what it was about. These films were simplistic. There was not a very difficult story to follow, and it was a great date movie. They were the, they were making these movies for a new generation that was paying to see them. That's what it was. And of course, then the video market just <laughs> backed it up even more. But then you also have just, let's take an issue with the new pornography. The literal definition of pornography is, quote, printed or visual material containing the explicit description or display of sexual organs or activity intended to stimulate erotic rather than aesthetic or emotional feelings, unquote. So to call these slasher movies the new pornography, they're literally saying the people who go to see movies like Friday the 13th and Maniac and Prom Night are doing it to get off. And I think it's that a, is just, that's inflammatory to of an almost irresponsible degree. It's an irony. The idea is when you do a movie, maniac, you know, don't go out at night. This is, again, we just said it. It's an exploitive title to get you to go see the movie. Why do they use terms like horror movies, the new pornography? Because they want you to tune into the freaking news broadcast. It's the same thing that Bill Lustig was doing. The same thing. Analysis Films, the distributors of the controversial box office hit Caligula, now bring you a new challenge. Maniac. No horror that ever froze your blood. No terror that ever pinned you sweating to your seat can prepare you for. Maniac. If you think you've seen it all, you haven't seen anything until you've met the challenge of Maniac. No one under 17 admitted. And, of course, they would never admit that on their little show. They'd be like, no, heavens no, we're not trying to market on anything. We're we're ethical. We're we're morally driven. These other sex perverts, no, no, this is a new pornography. No, they would be, they'd be full of shit about it, but I think Fred is absolutely right. It's a, it's a marketing ploy. I didn't even think about it that way. Well, but then there's also, now this is one where I will disagree wholly with Bill Lustig. He, he says there's a weird racial angle to slasher movies. He says because white people had more disposable income than Latinos and blacks, so they were able to rent movies and get VCRs as the rise of the video store. He actually put forth the reason that so many minorities love slasher movies is even if they don't speak the language, you don't really have to follow the story. The films are almost totally visual anyway. If you're a Latino who doesn't speak English, you can still get the whole story. I think that's boiling these down to a simplistic level I'm not comfortable with. I've always saw William Lustig as a guy that does have a, a talent visually, but I, I, I think that's kind of proving these little news stations right that people are only going to go watch it for the, for the graphic violence. Like he, he's kind of putting himself into this hole and kind of making his movies sound bad without, I think, even trying to. It's, it's sort of a, a, a detriment to his own work without actually trying to, to be one. Well, it's like anything else. There's, there's an ounce of truth. You know, uh, certain filmmakers, Charlie Chaplin to Jackie Chan, both made movies that were visual and action-oriented so they could play around the world. They, for audiences that didn't speak their language, obviously in one case Chinese, the other English. And so there's a, there's a bit of truth to what he's saying, but he's leaving out probably the largest factor. A movie like Maniac is not going to be playing in Mall of America. It was playing mostly at the Grindhouse. It was playing mostly at the inner city theaters. I mean, I, I remember, you know, living up, uh, growing up 
around Detroit, you know, if you went to the outer areas, if you went to Fairlane Mall and that, you you know, you weren't going to see these movies playing there. But if you hit like the Dearborn Cinemas or downtown Detroit, you saw the more shocking, violent horror films. That's why more minorities were seeing they, they were playing in the inner cities. It's that simple. There really isn't much else to add to that one. Let's look at how horror films change. Now, I'm going to read a list. It's not that long of all of the horror films that came out in 1980. You got Fred Olin Ray's Alien Dead, Alligator, Anthropophagus, Apocalypse Domine, which is Cannibal Apocalypse with John Saxon, The Awakening with Charlton Heston, Beyond Evil, another John Saxon, Boogeyman, Cannibal Holocaust, The Changeling with George C. Scott, The Children, Christmas Evil, City of the Living Dead, City of the Walking Dead, Contamination, or over here, Alien Contamination, Death Ship, Don't Answer the Phone, Don't Go in the House, Eaten Alive, Erotic Nights of the Living Dead, Fade to Black, The Fog, Friday the 13th, He Knows You're Alone, the hearse hell of the living dead humanoids from the deep house on the edge of the park inferno peter's cannibal long island cannibal massacre (laughs) mama dracula which is really more of a comedy but okay maniac the monster club motel hell mother's day new year's evil night of the demon the other hell prom night schizoid the shining silent scream terror train toxic zombies the unseen watcher in the woods and zombie holocaust there is Something I can say, not to the critics, but where I see their criticism coming from. If you even look at the films from 79 into 80, all of these films are far more visually graphic. And that's not a bad thing. You can see how that's a little shocking to somebody who is used to a horror picture, maybe being a Vincent Price movie. A few years ago, in 2008, a friend of mine, Hank Carlson, did the effects on a movie called Psycho Holocaust. The the psychos take a handsaw and rape a guy to death with it in the ass. And Hank had to build the fake rapeable ass and everything, which he still has in his basement, funny enough. One of the reviews from a major horror magazine said, This was disgusting. You would have never seen Vincent Price or Christopher Lee raping someone with a saw. And the answer was, no, because they were from a different generation. Do you think, even though it's an even year, 1980 really was just ushering in a whole different generation of horror films? I'll tell you why Vincent Price wouldn't rape somebody in the ass with a buzzsaw or whatever. Because Vincent Price is a pussy. Vincent Price is awesome. You shut your whore mouth. I was playing more to like Tango and Cash. But no, it's it's absolutely true. Like, of course, you wouldn't see Vincent Price or, or Christopher Lee doing stuff like that. Horror movies were completely different back then. Like, that that wasn't 2008. So that's years, even years after the 80s. I don't even think you would see, like, even the 80s were pretty provocative with their slasher stuff. But I don't even think you would see stuff like that back then. Like, I think horror movies have been getting more and more violent and more and more over the top. And I think that may be a, a bit of a detriment to it because it's lacking a bit of subtlety lately but absolutely it's the times have changed no you wouldn't see vincent price or christopher lee do that you know who you you might see do that is maybe a bruce campbell or a kane hodder <laughs> or, or somebody from the 80s like joe spinell joe spinell you know you, you're, you might see someone like that do that so very elitist thing to say like oh real horror is from the, the 50s and then the 60s and the 40s it had class back then shut up it's horror. It's meant to, it's meant to elicit an emotion of fear in whatever way they do that or an emotion of shock. And whatever way they do that, whatever way works is how it's done. And that's why subgenres exist. That's why you have horror movies about ghosts. That's why you have horror movies about serial killers or cataclysmic events. Uh, it's always different stuff. So no, maybe Vincent Price wouldn't rape somebody with a buzzsaw. You know what? Joe Spinell might. So shut the fuck up. 
This one is a little difficult, it, you know, because you're talking a, a large leap, a, a very, very, very low budget movie. I didn't make this or leap. This is this this was what a reviewer put out. No, there. I it just it, it it boggled my mind that they made this leap. No, my point being that we're, we're you went into 2008's territory, you know, and again, you know, we we're in the era of like Human Centipede and stuff like that. But I think Batar has hit upon it that yeah, there Vincent Price is the bad example. Because he made a certain class of movie. And even if Vincent Price was, say, making movies today, I'd even agree with that. He probably wouldn't. That wasn't his scene. As times change, there are different things that change. There were things going on in, again, in other countries that were very shocking. There, you know, we always bring up Italy. You should see some of the horror movies from Hong Kong in the 80s, man. They are, they're intense. So are the ones from like the Philippines and Thailand and they're, they just blow your mind, okay? If there's if there's something that somebody can be raped with, they've used it twice. <laughs> uh, this is just one of those things where I think we're jumping the idea of the types of movies that are marketed towards a mainstream audience, the type of movies that are marketed to a particular genre audience, and then those movies that are just shot out of a shotgun and they try to hit whatever they can. We're talking about pure exploitation, and often these news reporters and these people, they're 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 talking about an exploitation piece, but they're using mainstream Hollywood to make their points. It's stupid. In fact, this this may be a bit of a, a leap, it seems. Roger Ebert said something I found very interesting, and it was so hypocritical it blew my mind, that Roger Ebert has been so against horror movies, right? If, if anybody knows his history, him and Gene Siskel just hated them, okay? They hated them. They called them all sorts of names beyond new pornography. He, they're talking about Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, oh. which Ebert liked. And he actually says, it's too bad theaters won't show this because they don't understand the concept of adult-only movies. And I just, I, I actually screamed at my screen. I was like, you hypocrite. That is exactly what all these filmmakers have been talking about, what fans of these types of films have been talking about. It's just you found one you like. Yeah. And that's what it always comes back to. If they don't like it, they're going to find some extreme excuse and they're going to bring out freaking Mary Pickford from the 1920s as an example for something happening in the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, and they're going to keep doing it. Go back and look at that list of all the 1980 horror films. Do you think it's right to class all of them together? I like Friday the 13th, but we all know that does not have a deep story. Maniac does not necessarily have a deep story. Motel Hell doesn't have a deep story. But what about the ones that do, like Fade to Black? This is Eric. <laughs> Eric Benford. Double-crossing, squealers, both of you. I go to a lot of movies. It's my thing. <laughs> you know what I do to squealers? <laughs> Why don't you live in the real world with the rest of us? If you're so smart, Stella, tell me what James Cagney's name was in White Heat. Benford is he's sick in the head. He's like retarded or something. Here's to us. Top of the world. I'm a great admirer. I just wanted to meet you. Happy birthday to you. I once went to three movies every day for a year, and I never missed once. I can't picture the creature who'd want to marry you. Tell me, who is this unlucky girl? Marilyn Monroe. 
Remember, you, you picked me up hitchhiking. I, I gave you the whole idea for my movie. I've never heard of you. Happy birthday. Huh? Cut it, no. Dear Eric. What are you looking at, you creep? But you didn't know what Adolf Hitler's favorite movie was. Broadway Melody, I bet you didn't know that. But what about Cry of Battle and War as Hell? Where were they playing, huh? Eric Benford lives for the movies. Sometimes he kills for them, too. Dennis Christopher, star of Breaking Away, creates an unforgettable portrait of life on the edge of terror. <laughs> Fade to Black. Introducing Eric Benford. Happy birthday, sucker. <laughs> Star of the Silver Screen. Master of Disguise. Well, I think he's calling you out. Hop along, Cassidy. Oh, look at this. of horror now in the ultimate performance of murder this is it it's hollywood you can't touch me not now Fade to Black is actually about something. It's trying to say something in a very cheeky way. Or even even though Diodato is pretty much on the record that this was an accident, Cannibal Holocaust is a great treatise on the media and its relationship with violence. All that Robert Kerman stuff, he meant it as exploitation, but it's really a treatise on the media versus violence and their obsession with each other. What about when some of these horror movies get dismissed? Ah, it's just a horror movie, but there's actually something there. I wonder who the real cannibals are. I agree, though. I mean, um, some of them are a little little deeper than they come off, and I think... um a lot of people write off a lot of slasher movies, like even, even Friday the 13th. I mean, sure, it, it's got a, a paper-thin plot to it, but it introduces a, a mythology. It introduces this very vast backstory of this camp that keeps trying to reopen and keeps running into problems. And, you know, you, you find out that there's this vengeful mother just trying to, to avenge the death of her, like, deformed, retarded son, which, uh, in a way, you, you sympathize with her to a degree. And it's that's interesting when you have a sympathetic villain. I don't think it's it's as empty as it comes across. And as you said, you know, Cannibal Holocaust and Fade to Black. And a lot of these movies are, are more than just a splatter film. A lot of them are. I mean, plenty of them, sure, are like... Erotic Nights cheap. of the Living Dead, there's really... There's, there's no justifying. That's not a deep film. Oh, no, no, there's tons of uh, social commentary to that one. I mean, you just, you have to watch it backwards in slow motion to really understand it. But on no. Tuesday. When Laura Gemser swallows the, swallows the load, she's taking on the, she's taking on all the filth of the world onto herself. <laughs> That's right. No, but yeah, there, there are two, well, no, there aren't just two kinds of horror movies. There are lots of different types, but I mean, you have your horror column, let's say, A, where you have ones where they really do 
think it out, even if it is just a, a slasher movie or a serial killer movie, there's thought put into it. There's a story. You know, you have your supernatural ones. You have your, your thrillers. You have your crime, more like crime-related drama kind of horror movies. And then you've got your column Bs and your column Cs down to your column Zs of mindless cash-ins, of ones that are usually, like, say, Halloween or Friday the 13th will come out. That'll be popular. And then you'll have a string of cheap knockoffs, some of which really do barely have any stories and are just pretty much highlight reels of, of people getting slaughtered in uh, sexually graphic, violent ways, um, which is not to say that that's Maniac. I think Maniac is, is, a, is a brilliant film, an incredible performance by Joe Spinell and uh, a masterclass of how good William Lustig is at really making uh, New York look as absolutely sleazy as possible. The movie having an artistry to it, and I believe Maniac did. I think there's more to it than just a guy going around scalping women. I mean, it has... The guy's, he's not portrayed as a hero as a lot of the, the people in this like little documentary seem to be perceiving it as, where they're saying, oh, it's not fair to women. What do you mean it's not fair to women? What the fuck are you talking about? This guy's not a villain, or this guy's not a hero. He's the villain of the film. It's called Maniac. You know, it's not called hero guy that murders women for fun. This is a movie that it's it portrays him as a complete manipulative piece of shit who scalps women who had a this this traumatic back background of his mother being abusive to him. And that, of course, doesn't justify it. All it does is make him worse, of course. And he gets his comeuppets in the end. He gets horrifically murdered himself by the end of it. It all comes full circle. So I, I really don't understand how people can have this like mindset of, oh, women die in this movie. Therefore, it's unfair to women. Well, what about the fucking countless amounts of action films where men get blown to bloody guts and chunks and skull fragments and, and brain matter and then get, get, get shot in the face and the head and, and burned alive? And th this is like just a small percentage of, say, like 80s action movies and, and horror movies as well. Men get men get chopped to shit, too. Tom Savini probably has the most violent death scene in Maniac. He gets his head blown into smithereens you see it all on camera it's probably the most like graphic kill in the film so i really don't understand this like mantra well, this is unfair to women that then what's unfair to men then Let, let's say you have um uh, a, a female-based action film where shit goes around shooting dudes is that unfair to dudes Ms. No, 45. yeah there you go is that unfair to dudes no no it isn't it's a fucking movie it's a movie that's violent. It's a movie meant for adults, which is going back to that, is that there should be age-restricted films that come out. That's what the R rating is for. That's what the 18-plus rating is for. It's what the X rating is for. You shouldn't be taking your goddamn children to this movie. And at all point, the fact that Roger Ebert could could say that about, a, oh, the Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, this is proof of adult-only cinema. Henry Portrait of, the, of a Serial Killer is one of the most sleazy fucking horror movies I've ever seen. It's up there with, with, with Maniac, in my opinion. It's, it's almost as gruesome and, quote-unquote, unfair to women, maybe more so than Maniac is. Like it's, I've always seen it as like a cheap, sleazy exploitation film. No, I've never see, understood. Peter, you're, you're I've totally never understood wrong. how it's like revered by all these critics. It makes no sense to me. Peter, you're totally wrong. Henry kills guys too, so he's an equal opportunity serial killer. Don't you get well, it? So does Joe Spinell and Maniac. If if that's actually been an excuse of some of these uh critics and uh 80s feminists and stuff, well, it's like, oh, well, Henry killed men as well. You didn't see Maniac, did you? You didn't actually go and watch it. Do you think that that subtext is something that the outsiders 
think, now I'm just talking horror films of like 1980, of this era that we're talking about. Do you think that they believe subtext is something you just cannot have? A movie like Christmas Evil, yes, it was marketed as a sleazy slasher movie. There's a lot of subtext and a whole lot of character in Christmas Evil. And, and like, Fred, I know you're a huge fan of Fade to Black. That whole thing is a freaking character study, isn't it? It just mm-hmm. happens to have some slasher elements to it. Well, if I may, and I will answer this directly, but I want to go backwards to the initial question you had posed to Peter about the idea of all these different films having very different views, what one having subtext where another does not. It obviously just on a simple, it's it's who makes it. You know, it, it depends on who actually makes it. Obviously, certain filmmakers are going to be a little smarter. And I don't mean that in like a snobby way. I mean, they're going to be a little sharper and they're going to want a little something more. That's where your subtext is going to come in. Yeah. Uh, if, if you look at Friday the 13th, I think this is a great example because that's about as base as you can get for an idea, right? Killer in the woods. People go to the woods. They die. But you look at the films that all had a different director and you you see a very large spectrum uh, especially i'd say in those first seven movies of of styles and thought processes and the two that i think epitomize this are part five and part six mm-hmm. part five done by danny uh steinman i think it dan was dan steinman yeah and the other done by Tom McLaughlin. Dan is more, uh, well, he was from pornography. <laughs> and if you, if you <laughs> can tell. Yeah, you look at his show, he treats the horror like money shots. Literally, there's your new pornography, kids. But if you look at Tom McLaughlin, this guy was obviously a bit in his heart. Old school. He liked the old school monsters. You know, you got the fog, the atmosphere. It's treated more like a monster movie. They're both in the same it, you know, they're they're part of the same film series and they couldn't be more different from each other. That's the way you can look at horror in general. The way Roger Corman would write and direct a movie that he did was very different than the films he produced. And we see this throughout the entirety of horror. And of course, the worst of these films is always going to be the ones that they aim at to to attack maybe some of the best of these Maniac and Fade to Black, and I'm not a huge fan of Maniac, but I don't hate it. But I see lots of similarities between Maniac and Fade to Black. They have a very similar structure to that character. Fade to Fade to Black's not nearly as oddly enough exploitative, but I, I'm going to well, count. No, count- that's the point. That's my yeah. point. That they're both dealing with a very similar type of character, but they're very different movies, and therein lies the crux. That you you can't you can't sit there and say. One represents the whole. That is ridiculous, okay? That would be like saying Breaking Bad is a horrible show because Geraldo was once a TV show. Like, <laughs> literally, you know, oh, they're both on TV. Oh, my gosh, what's I, okay. happened? I've made the association in my head now. Uh, I agree I agree with your point, and I'd like to subscribe to your newsletter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's it. There, and Patar said the rest of it. it. Look, these people are doing exactly the thing they're accusing them. They're exploiting. They're exploiting a title. They're exploiting a, a, a film. They're exploiting people's pain. Uh, they're use, It's not unlike, you know, psychics who draw people in. Oh, I, I feel you've had a death in your family. No kidding. Most people. Everybody have. has. So they exploit that and they use it against them. Oh, but it makes them feel better in the end. And I think that's what, you know, you're, for lack of a better way of wording this, we'll just say the SJW types. You know, they, they just want to hear the words and it makes them feel feel better and it gives them <laughs> comfort no matter how fraudulently fake it all is 
Well, but I mean, you also have to look at something like all these films are not created equal. There's no way you're going to say John Carpenter's direction of The Fog is the same level as Joe D'Amato's direction on Erotic Nights of the Living Dead. The same as <laughs> Luigi Coetzee's direction on Alien Contamination is anywhere in the same league as Louis Teague on Alligator. But like, like Fred said, these are all very, very different films. And to categorize all of them as the new pornography, which they basically were, because th that piece I played, go back and look at those films again. There are films in there that are not slasher films. The Howling is not a slasher movie. No. Scanners is a freaking sci-fi movie. I don't even know if I'd call that a horror movie. But they were lumping these all in together because gore. It's got horror elements. It's what psychics blowing each other's heads up. That's a sci-fi movie. Ah, uh, well, if you look at, I mean, Michael Ironside's character is kind of like a a horror villain like the way he uses his powers to his advantage i could see it as a as a horror movie but definitely leaning more towards sci-fi certainly not slasher though if there was a couple i had to pick out to be the sleaziest of this 1980 crop humanoids from the deep i love it but they literally have monsters raping girls and slashing guys faces off that's a pretty freaking exploitative movie for 1980 absolutely humanoids from the deep is uh, excellent is something like Humanoids from the Deep of, of representation of their example, or is that going against their example? I'm going to bring up again Cannibal Holocaust. On the surface, the movie is is kind of a gore fest. I mean, Diodato focuses on the gore, yet the movie actually has depth to it. Again, even Diodato admits accidentally, but still, it has depth to it. How can you categorize Christmas Evil and New Year's Evil in the same category. They're two totally different films, but they're both thrown in as the new, new pornography. Hell, in fact, Christmas Evil, I don't even, I think there's only two on-screen deaths and there's no gore in that movie at all. Well, I think that's proof that they haven't actually seen all the movies. Like, I think, uh, Fred said it a little bit earlier where they were just plucking names out of a hat, whichever one sounded the most gruesome, like, Oh, Christmas Evil, and this one, and Humanoids of the Deep, and all these, like, movies that sound like they would be, they'd be kind of gruesome and, and exploitative. Like, Cannibal Holocaust. Like, that sounds just horrible in general. It's got the freaking word Holocaust in it. So, of course, that's going to be on the list. Um, they were just trying to create a buzz with all these really intense-sounding movies. They, they likely hadn't seen them. It was just a random, random list. And they were trying to say, this is what we're dealing with now. All of these movies are are bad, and you should feel bad for enjoying them, and this is a new pornography. Like, I, I highly doubt any any of these people, especially the people that are the, the talking heads on TV that are reading off of a f***ing teleprompter, have actually sat down and watched any of these. I, I actually will agree with that, because I have a feeling, like like I said, My Bloody Valentine, Prom Night, and The Howling were not out yet, at least to yeah. mainstream, at the time this report came out, I'm going to wager she was basing this off of the trailers. The, how the Howling trailer, Joe Dante, is on record, is very clear. He did not like how the trailers. That first trailer mm. for The Howling makes it look like a slasher movie. He did it not does. like what Avco Embassy did for the marketing of, of Howling. The one reporter in that video actually says it. The titles are more shocking than the films themselves because it's marketing. They're, you know, they're marketing a, a product at the end of the day. Let, look, let's be direct here. Uh, films like 
cannibal holocaust or humanoids from the deep uh i've said said before i despise cannibal holocaust like i despise that movie but here's the thing kids i don't have to watch it so i'm not going to sit there and try to attack other people who like these films watch these films like these films what is the point in that to me the best way to to get back at anything you don't like is to make something better and guess what that's hard that's hard to do. It's hard to make a good movie. It's hard to sit down and write a good story. And you got to cast good actors and you have to have great locations and a cinematographer that knows what the heck he's doing if you don't know how to shoot. And these things cost money, which is exactly what most exploitation filmmakers don't have. They're using their imagination and their wits to make it into a business. And the fact that these reporters never take that into account. Look, they can have their opinions, all right? And then when you see in these cases, again, they never look at this stuff realistically. They never look at the filmmakers. They never look at all of the films. They never look at the history of the films. For crying out loud, that game Night Trap we talked about once. This game, this game went before a congressional hearing and the people that were making the accusations never played it. And that's exactly what we're talking about here. We're talking about people that are basing things on their feelings. They're basing it on an emotional response to it, which isn't that weird? That's kind of what movies do, isn't it? They affect us. And yes, they can have a negative effect, okay? If we can say uh, Rocky made us punch at the air, uh, Star Trek made us want to become astronauts, and Top Gun made us want to become you know, fighter pilots, then or you gay. have to say, or gay, there you go, <laughs> there you go, gay volleyball kids, then of course there can be a negative to that. Just like those other things, I can promise you that there's a little bit more there to the story, even for the positives. You know, a lot of times these reporters are basing their truth more off of what they leave out. It's what they're leaving out of the story. And that's an important thing that that's something to really think about whenever you hear this. It's okay if you don't like horror movies. It's okay if you think they're disgusting and there's okay if you don't want your kids to see it. But when you go after other people, it's, it's like, okay, I want to justify what I don't like by saying, Hey, if you watch it, you're going to be a serial killer. That's stupid. That's just stupid. And that's leaving out all the facts. And that's what these reporters do. They're sensationalists, pure and simple. Well, we really should play both sides of the street here because there is one of these films that does play into the aspect of their whole, the new pornography that people go to see this for the violence. And strangely enough, that's Prom Night. When Prom Night was first made and they made the movie thinking it was going to be rated R, it got a PG. So the studio, Avco Embassy, actually gave the producers more money to shoot extra gore scenes so they could get it up to an R because they were afraid nobody was going to go see a PG-rated slasher movie. In all fairness, we do have to point that out, that in a case like Prom Night, they were playing to, this is what you want. Well, yeah, I mean, especially at that time. Honestly, I don't think anybody would have gone to go see a, a PG slasher film. Most people don't want to watch that nowadays. But when you consider it like what what movies it was going head-to-head with at the time, probably wouldn't have made it too well in the box office with a PG rating. Most people would kind of scoff at it and go like, ah, oh, what is this, like Halloween light? I'm not going to go see this. Of course it's got to be R-rated. Well, and then the other thing we have to address is we are going to be called blind on this episode. Because every time I try and defend slasher films on this show, everyone says, you are taking a narrow view that because you like it, these things are not to be questioned. 
And there are people that say you are finding depth in Maniac and Fade to Black and Cannibal Holocaust that is not there. Maybe that's a good thing to people listening that have this mindset. You're finding depth. At least we're finding it. You know, we're not just looking at things that that uh, Hollywood or the media or whatever tell us have depth. We're actually watching things for ourselves. So maybe that's a good thing. Maybe you should think for yourself a little bit. I can't even believe people like this listen to our show. You're just finding depth in it. I, I, I get this crap a lot. Every time we do a slasher episode, I get people asking how I can defend these films as being more than pure exploitation. Good and Lord. And my answer is because, and yes, some of them are pure exploitation. Well, yeah. Some of them really have, I mean, there's no way if you've ever seen Fade to Black that you can say, this movie is does have has nothing to say a movie like fade to black which i think is criminally underrated is all about depth it's the murderers happen to be there as part of the only way they could get the movie made almost yeah well i i just spent a little while pointing out the negatives too i I think you know we've acknowledged them again you you have to you can't go into something blind otherwise then based on what we love we're just as guilty as those people okay we're just taking the farthest extreme for while they're taking the furthest extreme against the the problem is we're talking such such a wide my gosh this is so huge we could be talking about films from multiple countries from multiple regions both of you have brought brought up like the scanners argument okay is it science fiction is it horror alien had the same debate there are so many films what about the scary moments in ghostbusters or raiders of the lost ark where heads explode and melt mm-hmm. and i mean this is something that's at at levels people are willing to excuse it if they like it hey incest everybody big fan of incest oh no well how about back to the future that's pretty much the entire joke of that film okay or game of thrones yeah, oh my gosh, yeah, don't even get me started on that. And you know what kills me? They say the new pornography. Then if you got a pro, why aren't you on pornography then? I mean, it's, it's just a matter of one thing after another thing after another thing. They just have to keep following it up with something more inane than the last. And they use these straw men arguments to have an argument. That's it there's nothing more there's nothing more and it's it's just like what's going on on youtube right now and they're saying oh these ads can't go on shows that deal with anything violent or macabre or whatever and it's like excuse me you've got game of throne ads yeah you've got walking dead ads and yes those are the commercials they're saying can't go on this horror video yeah (laughs) it's just ridiculous it's the same arguments it's about who controls what who controls what you hear what you think what you say look we could think for ourselves we can agree we could disagree the three of us have very different you know views and loves in movies yet here we are able to have a discussion on this topic without killing each other okay and it's like that that's what you need. You'll know they don't have somebody sitting in with them having a genuine discussion. And that's really crucial to this argument, that there isn't that other voice saying, well, what about, well, what about, what about? No, it's their voice, their opinion. They only pick a psychologist that'll agree with them. They'll never go to a psychologist who wrote a book that said, well, you know what? I think these are kind of a good outlet. You know, never. Or, hey, what's a good story? Or we've been telling stories you know, since we lived in trees or caves or whatever you want to say, you know what I mean? Mm. Uh, we've been telling stories our whole life. You know, we've had the Grand Guignon, and yet here we are as a society. We're still standing, okay? There, you know, we've, with all the mistakes we've ha- got in history, it's like I don't think our storytelling is at the heart 
of our problems and never was. I think we are at the heart of our problems. Yes, and it's, our, it's our actions, not our entertainment. Okay, it's a reflection of what's going on culturally. And yes, it can be negative. It could be bad. You could end up with like a scumbag like Michael Winner, who obviously got off, sh- you know, shooting a rape scene. I was scene. just gonna, Michael Winner counters our argument. When he was, quote, defending Death Wish 2, he gave every he, he just he put the bullets in the gun to shoot violent movies with well, when he ever he went on the news. He he was like, I'm giving the audience what they want and they go to see it in the theater. And that's why I love it so much. Michael Winner does not help our argument. Michael Winner is the bad example. Uh, you know, or a good example of the bad example. And he's the one brought up constantly. Look, he's the type of guy that does exist. He's the guy that would watch a horror movie or an extremely violent film. And yeah, probably get off on it. Okay. These people exist. We can't say they don't because that's us ignoring reality. Okay. That's us being guilty of exactly what they're accusing of, accusing us of. There are filmmakers and film goers who enjoy something not in the right way. Okay, that's why you can go on the internet and find a fetish for literally everything. And I mean literally everything. They exist. But again, you can't penalize artists who are trying to tell a story. Yes, some are exploitive and they go too far. That doesn't represent the whole. That doesn't represent the entire palette. For crying out loud, if Maniac is the film you're going to point at, that proves they haven't seen movies. Okay, there were a lot of shocking films during that time period. There were a lot of horrific films. There was a lot of gory films. And that's the one they picked on because it fit what they wanted to say. It fit their narrative. That's why they chose it. Just like I said, they went through a list. They said, oh, look at this title. Look at this title. Look at this title. Those things fit their narrative, and that's why they choose them. Then let me ask this to close out the show. With all those films from 1980, how different do you think the horror genre in general is from that 1980 list to say what's coming out this year. Do you think it's more graphic now or less graphic now? Because in a weird way, I think you could get away with a hell of a lot more in 1980 for an R-rated movie than you can in 2017. It's kind of been fluctuating. I want to say that they're more graphic now, but I I wouldn't I can't say I'd agree with myself. I think it was in the era of like 2004, six, seven, especially when the Saw movies were really prevalent. I mean, you had blockbuster movies that were just gruesomely violent. Whereas now it seems like it's fluctuated a bit more to supernatural horror, stuff that doesn't have a a whole lot of gore in it ending up in theaters. I think I think that's that's something that the that the horror that horror has done in general for a very long time is constantly fluctuate with what's what's in right now it's like spooky stuff or uh ironic stuff or not really ironic but kind of self-aware because you're seeing a lot of like the the bigger movies that are coming out especially with it coming out the new interpretation or adaptation of it it's like that's very much more psychological it's more like supernatural cosmic horror kind of stuff and you've got Annabelle and you have all these conjuring movies and all these uh, the, the bye bye man and all this stuff and and a lot of even the indie horror movies are um are, are playing more to that like it follows or or the Baba Duke it's it's more like slow burn uh 70 style supernatural so I, I wouldn't say it's more graphic at least not at this point it was for a little bit because the the saw movies were friggin huge for a while for whatever reason but now it's shifted back more to and I and I like it it's shifted back to a little more subtlety 
I think that's nice. Um, but I think it's just proof that horror has never been the same. It's never going to be the same. Certain genres are always going to be more, more popular than others in, in certain eras. You, you never know. You never know. It's always going to be a mixed bag. Right now, I think it's a, it's a little less graphic. I think they could get away with a lot if they wanted to, because they were for a little while. Uh, but right now it's more subtle, slow burn supernatural horror over the uh the graphic violence stuff which was more more akin to a few years uh few years back well uh follow me on this one for a second but the mainstream hollywood movies undoubtedly are more restrained uh there's no doubt about that uh you know we've had our shocking frontier in the theater and now we are getting a much more restrained theatrical release i think where we're seeing the shock now and the more extreme and, and by the way there are movies of course being released to direct video and uh to netflix and things that are very gory and very shocking but we're not shocked anymore i think what you're seeing is the new frontier of shock and that is regular television is more shocking now than it was back in in the 80s oh yeah you know, back in the 80s well, the walking dead jeez well and that's even amc but even regular television they're showing when the people get shot they have the back of their heads blow off now they have full-on autopsies okay i'm talking with hearts and livers and kidneys so you know it's it's changing the frontier is changing and this is where i said about follow me for a second there's even like if you like no kids cartoons they're getting kind of edgy man uh there was a show called gravity falls on disney and some of that stuff for now keep in mind for children are severed heads that try to kill you uh one episode it goes full-on evil dead with a deer head laughing bloods coming out of the walls uh dead people are chasing uh the characters around trying to kill them obviously it's just a matter of where I think now, as opposed to, does it exist? Yes, it just doesn't exist in the same place. Now it's in venues where people want to get shocked. They, they're they ready for it now. They, they're they like, wow, television is bland. It's boring. You know, an A-team would always flip a car every week. That's <laughs> not going to cut it anymore, okay? Mm. If a car flips now, somebody's head better be rolling down the street afterwards. That's it. That's the answer. It's It's just changed venues. It didn't go away. It just changed addresses. I'm not comfortable with the term torture porn, yeah, which would be that. the modern version of the new pornography. Mm-hmm. There are certain artists like Michael Winner and that, that, that hurt our argument. Like I think if anything comes close to torture porn, it'd be Eli Roth yeah. in the hostile movies because oh he literally fetishized the gore in those movies with the long lingering shots. And the whole movies were about the gore. Yeah. If anything can be called torture porn, it's Eli Roth. I think he is a much more inept, much stupider, retarded version of Michael Winner. Cause you know what? He- Michael Winner, say what you will about the guy. His, uh, at least, uh, the first two death wish movies were relevant to that time. This was the late 70s and early 80s when New York really had a problem with crime and really had a problem with the, the police force and the economy. The, the city had gone bankrupt. There, there weren't enough ambulances. There weren't enough firefighters. There weren't enough, like, you know, response uh, police. Um, police were incredibly slow to respond or they wouldn't respond at all because there really weren't enough on, on the beat. There weren't enough actually out All it took was a Jewish streets. architect. Oh, yeah. Well, it doesn't matter what he was. I think that the whole point of Death Wish is it, it, it fed um, to people's desire to see something done about what had been happening. You couldn't take the subway at night in New York. You couldn't walk down the street after dark. There were all these abandoned buildings that, like, gangs would hang out and hang out in and everything. Um, this it was like this in Vancouver as well. Um, it, it, the economy became so bad and it became so 
so bankrupt and the city had no funding for the police force that you literally had gangs starting up. Every district of, of the city or, or different towns and whatnot would have their own, their own gang. It was a lot, it was a lot like the Warriors. So a movie like Death Wish is actually relevant. Like Michael Winter, scumbag as he is, he made a movie that hit a nerve. You know, people wanted vigilante justice at that time, especially people who were living in New York, who were being constantly mugged, who had their spouses raped or murdered or had their kids killed or whatever. This this movie made sense. It made sense to go see it. It was relevant at the time. Whereas Eli Roth is just making trash. I, Pitar, just for the record, I agree with you in that respect as far, cause that's what we're talking about, the reflection of the times. Uh, back mm-hmm. on the Dirty Harry episode, I said yeah. pretty much the same thing you just said, that like, <laughs> Dirty Harry and Death Wish, those films were a reflection of how people felt. They were tired of not only being the victim, but finding no justice. Even after the case. And those films are just a reactionary to that. So we're not, I don't think, just for clarity, we're not picking on the film themselves, but like for part two and part three of Death Wish, there's an, there's a lot of stories about Mr. Uh, Winner and. Yeah, yeah, Winner's a scumbag. Yeah, it, he just fit through the cracks. We're not picking on them. At least I'm not. Death Wish is yeah. a great film. The first one especially. What I'm it, just it, saying is that the difference between like Eli Roth and Winner is that at least Winner could make a good movie. True. Uh, yeah, I'll agree with that. <laughs> right, but, we'll close the book uh, but, on that. I'll say yes. Th- but the point I wanted to make was if anything feeds into the torture porn argument of the 2000s, it's the hostile movies, Cabin Fever, and the Eli Roth films. Because he literally – remember, Maniac was accused of fetishizing the gore, and it wasn't. Go and try and watch Hostile or Hostile 2 and tell me that the gore is not the reason he wants you to see that film. He literally fetishizes it in an almost pornographic way. It certainly ain't for the damn characters. Eli Roth's the guy that if you, he, he had watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre and you asked him about the movie, he would say, oh, those vi- scenes of violence and gore were so great. And yeah. of course, there really weren't. I mean, there was violence, but there wasn't a lot of graphic violence. And in his mind, that's all he took away from every movie he ever saw. So when he started making movies, that's all he had. That's, yeah. that's it. He pulls from inside and there was no subtext because there was no story. Rob Zombie has deeper characters. <laughs> On that note, what are your final thoughts on the new pornography of 1980? Was this just hyperbole used to, to try and, to try and take a moral high ground, which as Fred pointed out, probably sent more people to the theater than away from it? Could you go through those list of titles again? Cause <laughs> they really turned me on. <laughs> they did. So on that note, where can people find Peter. Ah, you can find me on YouTube, uh, The Cinemasochist. I've got some new videos out. I've got another one in the works coming out pretty soon. Find me on Facebook, The Cinemasochist. You can find me on Twitter at Cinematica and on 1201beyond.com. And also I'd like to give a shout out. I, I met a fan of our show at a, at a concert I went to last night for, uh, it's actually the guy who does the theme song, uh, for my show, Perturbator. It was a dude just randomly, he said he heard me, he recognized my voice when I was uh, getting a beer and I uh, said, what's up? And that he enjoys the show. So if you're, if you're listening, uh, thanks for, thanks for, uh, coming out and, Telling me you support the show, and I hope you're hope you're still enjoying it, man. And good to see you at the concert. Fred, where can people find you? Just at Movie Apocalypse on Facebook. Nothing new to report uh, other than pulling out what little hair I have left trying to get this no-budget horror short made. I'm, I'm sure I'll be on the news myself for exploiting the youth of today with it. <laughs> I look forward to that. And you can find me at 1201beyond.com. You can contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Guys, try to be a cut above. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. 
Have a good night.
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.